Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy Friday, you guys. Okay, I need to say, you guys are so kind. You're so kind. Thank you so much. For all of your messages that you've sent us, thank you for all of the screenshot shares that you have pre-ordered my newest book, UBU, which comes out on October 1st this year, just around the corner, you guys. I am truly so grateful. Guys, in this book, UBU, why satisfaction and success are closer than you think, I'm going to help you throw out these false definitions of success. I want us all to give up this idea that we have to have someone else's skills, talents, family, or resources to succeed. I want you to use the beautiful level of influence that God has given you right where you are. Guys, you can pre-order the book right now. When you pre-order the book, just go to jamieivy.com slash UBU. We'll put all the links in the show notes. And you can claim some goodies that we're giving you. We're giving you the very first chapter of the book so you can start reading early. We're giving you an entry to win lunch with me. Yes, I'm going to get my best friend and we're going to fly to your town and have lunch with you and your best friend. Yes, it's true. I also am going to give everyone that pre-orders the book a ticket to our virtual happy hour live book launch event on September 30th. I cannot wait for that to happen. Today's guest on the happy hour is Amy Julia Becker. Amy Julia and I met about a year ago from right now on a trip with Welcome Women when we went to El Paso together. It was a whirlwind 32-hour trip but it left both of us impacted even a year later from that trip. Amy, Julia, and I talk about the importance to understanding that privileges that we have, they've been harmful to how we engage and understand how to live holistically together in community. This conversation is rich with experience and practical tips for how we can be part of the larger healing work of love in this world. Here's my conversation with Amy, Julia. Amy, Julia, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. I'm glad to have you on. I've been wanting to have you on since I met you. When I met you when we went to El Paso, that was the first time we met. Am I right? Yes. That's what I thought too. Sometimes I'm like, oh, did we meet before? Because you feel like you know someone just because you see them online and you're like, oh, we know each other. That was the first time in the flesh. (laughs) That was it. In the flesh. We traveled to El Paso together last fall. I mean, it was almost a year ago. Almost in August of 2019, I bet. It was late August because uh, my kids were just starting school. We start school later up in Connecticut. And we were in El Paso, you know, for, I don't know, a hot 24 oh, hours. It was the fast trip. In fact, this show comes out will probably be around one year since we were there. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I flew in one day and I was home the next day. It was a really, really yeah. quick trip for me personally. Yeah. But we packed it in. I was amazed at how much in one day... I was able to learn, but also not just in my head, feel like there was some actual connection to real people and a much bigger sense of all the issues going on there. 
much bigger sense. And I remember when I came home from that trip, someone was like, so do you understand everything more? And I'm like, no, I have 8 million more questions. <laughs> Absolutely. And I thought one of the brilliant things about that trip was seeing both the people who are seeking asylum in the United States and the border patrol who were also seeking to do their jobs with integrity and well and recognizing these are not people against each other, but they're also, we don't know how to help everyone work together. It was really complex, but really helpful for me to at least begin to ask my questions, I guess. Yeah, I did a... Maybe it was a webinar, I can't remember what it was, with Brie from Women of Welcome recently. And that was what I said to her actually was, I kind of went into that when we had the chance to hear from the Border Patrol. I kind of went into that like, oh, these people putting kids in cages. Oh, I was like angry, right? Yeah. I just can't wait to see what they're going to tell us. And I left there going, man, I have really a lot of sympathy. I'm like, I feel sorry for them. Like their hands are tied in so many ways and they're trying to do their job. And then it was that I left there with a lot of just going, wow, that was not what I thought it was going to be. And I think it just speaks to any of the issues we're seeing when you have what seems like two opposing sides. Mm. When you are able to connect with the human beings who can talk about their experiences, it doesn't mean one, both are right, or it's all becomes so clear, but it does help see, oh, this is complex and there are different ways to see it. And to fix this is not just a simple matter of like people, I don't know, doing their jobs better or deciding that they care about other people. There's a lot more at stake here. So much more at stake. And I want to talk about that with you about engaging culture issues with this holistic view. Mm. So I want to go there with you. But first, we just jumped in. I want you to introduce your family and tell us what you do and do all that stuff. And then everyone know we're coming right back to how do we engage these issues holistically. Okay, sounds good. All right, so I am Amy Julia Becker, and I have three kids. I'm married to Peter, and I have three kids, Penny, William, and Marilee. Penny is our oldest child. She's 14, and Penny has Down syndrome, so I've done a lot of writing and speaking and thinking and being a parent in relation to this thinking about disability and about intellectual disability specifically. So she is going to go into ninth grade this fall. Then William is 11, Marilee is 9, and they've also brought into my life and faith all sorts of good questions, good challenges, and I've written in kind of the parenting space around all the different things they've pushed me on. And yeah, I spend a lot of time just kind of managing our household and being with them, but I also spend a fair amount of time writing and speaking. I had a book that came out almost two years ago called White Picket Fences, which is really a memoir about understanding myself as a person who has privilege or like unearned social advantages. I'm a white woman. My parents were married, educated, grew up with affluence, but then had a child with Down syndrome who was both kind of born into all of these advantages and also born on the outside of that. Mm. So the book is about how does having this experience of both being on the inside and on the margins helped me to understand back to the, you know, various divisions in our culture to think about culture more holistically and my place in that. And as a Christian, especially how to respond to what can be issues of like often shame and guilt and anger and despair. How do we enter into that with love, with hope, with healing, but not with like this false optimism as if 
well, God just works everything out and, mm-hmm. you know, we're along for the ride. Yeah. Which I think is where we're all, I think those of us who are, are trying to think about those things, that's like the tension that we feel is like, how do we have these conversations and work through this with the kindness of Jesus and the compassion and the understanding and also not just be like, well, I mean, it is what it is. Like God is in control and it's this, you don't want to be too heavy footed on either one, you know, like I still want to believe that God is sovereign and he is in control, but he still asks us to be, you know, active members of our society and help to build a better world. Doing both of those well is where it gets hard. Yeah. I've thought so much about exactly what you were just talking about. And one of the things I've really thought about is even the phrase God is in control. I think there's like a theological truth to absolutely God's Mm -hmm. sovereignty, God working out over the long haul for good and and actually even entering into the pain and suffering more deeply than anyone else in the person of Jesus on the cross, right? But at the same time, it's like the only descriptor we have for God in the Bible that's like an equation is that God is love. And love is not controlling. Mm. Like love is invitational. Love is this force for good that I believe is what God uses to hold the whole universe together. Mm -hmm. But there's also a sense of we are invited to participate in love and we are able to reject love. And Mm. that's one of the mysteries, right, of all of it. But more and more and more, when I read the New Testament, I'm able to remember that in Greek, they didn't, all of the time when it says you, I mean, we should be using y'all because it was always plural, Everybody, right? Like, yeah. Uh-huh. It was always plural. So it's not you as an individual need to fix things, but it is y'all as the body of Christ. You're the hands and feet. Mm-hmm. I'm equipping you. I'm empowering you. Mm-hmm. This is not your own work, but you have a participation in this And as you do that, you're getting closer to me. You're learning more about who you are as a unique, gifted human being. And yet you're also, yeah, in love, Mm. able to be a part of the healing and mending work that God wants to do. Mm. I'm all for using y'all when I read Bible out loud, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I saw you were really making it relative to me here in Texas. Okay, y'all, let's do this. Uh, Because you could have said you guys, but no, y'all is what we like to say down here. Okay, well, let's jump in. And, you know, I noticed a kind of a, this is, I was going to say trend. It's by no means a trend. It's how a lot of times writers work is I've seen the books that you've released and they've gone a lot of like what's, happening in your life? What is God revealing? What is teaching? Which is often the case, like God teaches us something. And then as a writer, you kind of put that out into the world. And so this last book that you have that just released two years ago, White Picket Fences, Turning Towards Love in a World Divided by Privilege. Let's talk about that. What does that look like to come to terms with your privilege? And you mentioned that God used even your daughter, Penny, and her being born and having Down syndrome as a kind of an eye-opening experience. I think the world, in a lot of ways, in the last, you know, 18, 24 months, um, especially maybe in the last four months, people are starting to have this kind of eye-opening experience of maybe, what do you mean privilege? Like, what is this? So talk me through your journey of realizing, oh, I was born with three legs up than a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think I always had some sense of that just because I, you know, was growing up in a family that was stable and secure. And I knew that not everyone had education, you know, the opportunities I had as far as schools. And I knew that not everyone had, you know, I didn't have college loans, for example. My parents were able to pay for me to go to college. And I knew that that 
gave me an advantage when I was looking for a job. I actually went into like parachurch ministry work where I didn't have to worry about yeah. paying off. So I, I was aware of some of that, but it also felt pretty like in my head. I, there are advantages and disadvantages. There's not much I can do about that. I'm just going to try to follow Jesus and live my life. And then I think when Penny was born, I recognized, first of all, some of that sense of like the experience of exclusion. So we had some experiences early on where people rejected her categorically. I remember one when she was two years old, I was, um, I called a preschool and was just talking with them about whether or not there might be a place in their program for her. And we were having this very lovely conversation where I'm asking questions about the school and their program and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, you know, I should mention that my child has Down syndrome. And they had not met Penny. They'd not seen her. They'd gotten no reports. They'd done no evaluations, nothing. And it was, I could hear in her voice the door that Mm. closed. And she said, oh, we would not be able to accommodate her here. Mm. And I thought, you've never even met her. And how many people have had that experience of a door closing simply because of the category they fit into and not because of who they are as a human being. And that's not an experience I have had, but I didn't even recognize that until that moment. Mm. Another thing I thought about was a lot of the, what I've believed is the reason I've gotten the quote unquote, like success I've had in life really has to do with my hard work. Yes. I grew up with married parents and education, all these things, but I've also worked really hard and it's true. I have worked hard. But I remember watching Penny doing physical therapy as a baby and being like, oh, my gosh, like other kids just roll over. Mm. She is working so hard and it is going to take her months longer to be able to do the thing that the kid next door does without any assistance whatsoever. So like hard work, it's important. It's great for people to work hard. But if, as you just said, if you start with three legs up and then you work hard, well, guess what? You get a lot farther in life Mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with the hard work specifically, like compared yeah. to someone else. So there were all those types of things that helped me recognize, oh, there is this set of social advantages that have been given to me and not to other people. But then comes the question of like, okay, what do I do with that? And my first instinct was break down the barriers and invite other people into my life, right? Like make a way for Penny to have what I have, make a way for anyone who's on the margins to have what I have. But the other thing that happened as Penny came into my life, I also got to know other people with intellectual disabilities and just became more aware of a culture of people with intellectual disabilities. And I started to recognize there's something missing in what I have Mm. that you have, right? Like I've grown up in this like hyper individualistic, achievement oriented, intellectual, and you have to do it yourself world. Even as a Christian, that was true. And I'm seeing myself being invited into a place and a community that cares more about love, about vulnerability, about shared experiences. And doesn't like your brag sheet for college, your straight A's or your varsity letters or your whatever, like that doesn't matter. But can you relate to me as a human being? That matters a lot. And so I started to recognize that it wasn't problem of privilege, right? was not just exclusion, but it was also that I had lived in a culture that valued individualism and achievement above all else. Mm. And so it was, I mean, especially thinking about the gospel, it was like, I lived in a culture that said what you do and how you perform determines who you are. Mm. 
And what God says is, no, 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 no. You are my beloved. And that is who you are, regardless of what you do. If you can flip that switch and start to understand that you are who you are as the beloved of God, then you can figure out what to do in the world. And it will be beautiful and it will be blessed and it will be out of your gifts. But that's just as true for Penny as it is for me. She's just as gifted as I am, even if in different ways. And I'm just as needy as she is, even if our culture allows me to hide that in a lot more right. ways. Yeah. So that was really, I think, for me, the tipping point was it's not really, I think it's pretty typical to come to a place of saying, oh, exclusion is bad, right? Like we don't want that. Mm-hmm. But what I was doing was saying, so come be like me. I'll mm-hmm. try to make it a world where everyone can be like me, as opposed to, wait a second, there are some problems with who I am. What yeah. can I learn from you and mm-hmm. vice versa? Like, how can we, how can we actually love each other? Yeah. Which yeah. sounds so silly and simple, but it was profound for me in terms of flipping the way I see the harm of privilege, that it's a harm for everyone, mm. that we divide ourselves, and that God really does want to knock down those walls and help us all participate in healing. It's so good. And I'm thinking, you know, we're having this conversation in July of 2020. And when you're talking about, you know, not just saying, hey, everyone come be like me. I often feel that that is the sense in the case for majority culture in America, which would be white people, of saying, hey, well, this will all just be better if we just all look and act and do and talk and believe like we do. And then there's no more racism because we're all like us. What you just said is so true. We talk about even the racial injustice that we're seeing in our country today and yesterday in the past 400 years is that there's not just a, hey, come in and be like us. It's a, you have beautiful things. I have beautiful things. Let's acknowledge each other and believe in each other in those ways. And essentially set up relationships of mutual giving and receiving right? instead of assimilation, like you just come be like me or of like patronizing. Mm-hmm. Let me help you from a position of power and yeah. authority rather than of shared vulnerability mm-hmm. and care. I mean, I find myself as a white person, I think I can easily slide right back into those assumptions. But the more and more I ask about anyone I encounter, not just what do they need, but also how has God gifted them? Like, what is Mm. their contribution, not just to the world, but like, what do I need from them? Yeah. Whether that's people who are elderly or who are on, you know, the margins when it comes to race and ethnicity, when it comes to disability, but there are lots of people who I can easily see with almost a sense of like pity instead of connection. And so I want to hold a place for like, yes, I have things to offer. Let's not pretend that I don't have some cultural power that can be used on behalf of other people. That's a great thing. But let's also not pretend that that makes me better than them mm. or that they have nothing to offer in return yeah. and that I don't have really deep needs that they yeah. can fill in return. You know, it's interesting when I was, when you were talking about privilege and how your daughter Penny helped you see that. And you even said, I would have known about this for a while because you had, you know, parents that were married, you had your college paid for, you guys, you didn't struggle for what you needed growing up. I think I would have been aware of that as well, but I don't think I would have ever named it as privilege. Like you said earlier, a lot of people would say, well, you just worked hard. Like, Uh you know, that's just, it is what it is because you worked hard and your parents worked hard and their parents worked hard. We leave out a lot of other things in American culture that have affected the minority people in our country. So my question for you is Penny helped you with this journey. 
I can 100% say that my children have helped me with this journey as well because I have black children. So they've opened my eyes. Penny's opened your eyes. What is it like for people who don't have Penny or they don't have black relatives? Yeah. How are we to help people's eyes open up to this privilege that they might have in lots of different areas. I'm so glad I'm talking to you because it's not just a race thing by any means. There's privilege in lots of areas. How do you see other people having this awakening moment if they don't have a penny or they don't have black family members or minority family members, not just black, you know, Asian, Mexican, whatever it might be, different culture, even Muslim, whatever, fill in the blank. I mean, I think you're right that relationships are often a conduit towards not just heart change, but actual holistic change in how we see the world. And certainly if that's happening in your family, then that's a profound, and you can't really get away from it, right? Like yeah, right. This, this is not, you can't choose to like go in and out of relationship with your family members. I mean, really you can't. Yeah. But that said, I do think that when we think about our institutions and we are often in America in like social institutions that also are really homogenous. And especially for people who are in churches, if we're an entirely homogenous church, and if our experience of the church more broadly is entirely homogenous, like that's an opportunity. There are so many Christians who do not look like me, right? And who are not from the same socioeconomic or educational background. And yet we have something in common that really can allow us to connect relationally. So I think the first thing is just to like challenge ourselves to actually do that work of connecting. I also think for me in talking with people, talking about the way privilege harms and cuts us off, the way it harms the privileged is really helpful because, Mm. I mean, if you look at the data about white, wealthy, educated people, and especially their children, what it says, they are just as anxious, just as prone Mm. to substance abuse, to depression, even to suicide than the general population, as the general population. So this like successful life is not leading to happiness or health. And so what's the problem here? And when I have, there's a chapter in the book called Insidious Irony, and it's talking about that way in which we turn in on ourselves. And so when we have money to purchase babysitting and dance classes and whatever we want for our kids. We don't rely on each other as much. Mm. Um, there are all these studies that have shown the ways when we become more and more isolated with wealth, actually. And what we need is human connection. So when I've been able to talk with people from the, here's how it has harmed me. I mean, I guess that's kind of a self-centered way to start, but we often start in those places, right? Here's how it's harmed me to be cut off from the rest of the world, Mm. that's been a way into, wait a second, I really want a way out of this anxiety, this depression. I really want to participate in this bigger picture. I want God's word to be true that we are all uh, potentially brothers and sisters and connected in who he is, right? I mean, there's some very practical things, like we can read books and we can watch movies and, you know, there are lots of resources and they're really important. But I do think it's that relational piece and even recognizing that the way our society is divided is actually harmful to everyone. Mm. And so, yeah, let's find a way out together. Even harmful for those that would fall under the privilege category, which is something that we don't normally talk about. Right. I do wish that you would have quoted, you know, the great notorious B.I.G. who said, (laughs) no money, no problems, (laughs) you know. (laughs) 
There are many paths to finding your family story. Whichever way you choose, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from, and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You could find a famous relative or perhaps a photo of your great-grandmother as a little girl. Researching your history is a fun activity for the whole family, and the stories you learn about your shared past can bring you closer together. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but also can pinpoint the specific regions within them, providing insightful geographic detail about your history. Trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. My mom is tracing our ancestors right now, and it is such a great experience. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience as Ancestry. Start exploring your family story today. Head to Ancestry.com slash happy hour to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash happy hour. I believe in having clean options. I support companies who innovate products that break the norm and help clean up my daily routine. That's why I love Native for my deodorant needs. In fact, I love it so much, I just gifted my mom with the Native deodorant. Native is made with ingredients that you've actually heard of, like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. They never use things like aluminum, parabens, sulfates, or talc. It's also vegan and never tested on animals. Native just released plastic-free deodorant made from 100% paperboard and shipped in a plastic-free bag. Switching to an aluminum-free deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor protection. Native will keep you smelling and feeling fresh all day long. Native comes in over 10 scents like coconut and vanilla and lavender and rose, plus rotating seasonals like the pumpkin spice latte collection. My favorite scent right now out of all of them is the coconut and vanilla. I have loved it this summer. I'm thinking about trying lavender and rose next. Maybe even a pumpkin spice latte deodorant. Native is risk-free to try with free shipping within the U.S. and free 30-day returns and exchanges. Guys, do what I did and make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo, that's D-E-O, dot com slash Jamie Ivey. Or use the promo code Jamie Ivy, J-A-M-I-E-I-V-E-Y at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash Jamie Ivy. Or use my name as a promo code Jamie Ivy at checkout for 20% off your first order. Okay, so I want to go back and I want to flip circle where we were about engaging in culture in a holistic way. And we yeah. kind of touched on this a little bit. And I think, is this what you have a free PDF for people to download? Yeah. Okay, so talk about that and let's talk about how do we do that as a culture in this holistic way because I think that's what we want and we need right now more than anything is to do it this way. Yeah, so one of the things that happened when I had finished writing White Picket Fences and I was starting to speak about it in various groups is they all said, okay, great, but like how do I respond? Give me the list of resources. Tell me what to do. And I had resisted that because I'm like, I don't want you to feel like you can just check it off the list. But at the same time, I thought, if you want to respond in a humble, holistic way, well, here's what I think. And I broke it down into head, heart, and hands. So there is a free PDF and audiobook of this guide to responding to the harm of social division. And it goes through the head, which is to say, learn, 
learn about your family, learn about your local community, learn about the history of it, learn about the current moment, just learn about your school, your church. What do you want to learn? So just do that learning and, you know, podcasts and videos and books and articles. There's lots that'll help us learn. But then the heart goes in two directions. So one, what I call the vertical direction of connecting in terms of spiritual practices that will root and ground us in the love of God. Because so many people work for justice or for healing out of our own strength. And Mm. that leads us to despair or to burnout or to unintentionally harming other people. Mm. There's a lot. We need a spiritual connection to God. We need to be rooted in prayer, in scripture. There's so much in our scripture to actually equip and empower us for the work of justice. And then certainly being connected to other Christians as far as just what it means to be the body of Christ and not to think it's on me to go heal the world. It's not. It's on God, but we get to be a part of it. So Mm -hmm. find your place, connect to your people. But then the horizontal piece of the heart is also connecting to people. So I think for me, I was actually an African-American studies minor in college. And one of the things that meant was that I was, first of all, in a school that was predominantly white, nevertheless, in classes with a lot of black students. And I had black teachers. Like, I, And I wasn't until I was much older that someone said it's really rare for a lot of white people to have ever had a person who is black in a position of authority over them. Mm. And I thought, gosh, I've never thought of that. But you're right. Like it was in college when I had black teachers that I was so aware of they knew so much more and they pushed and challenged me in so many ways. So I think that horizontal is the relational piece. So it might mean friendships, but it also might mean like, who are the mentors in your life who are different than you? That is awesome. If it comes in, you know, human relationships, it also can come through books. It also can come through, you know, taking a class by someone with, from a different perspective. And then, of course, just building out those relationships of care with people, especially across dividing lines. And then the last thing is the hands. So taking that head and heart knowledge and saying, how do I put this into action? And the way I think about that, again, is in kind of three different levels. The first is individually. So one of the things I write about in the book is like changing the books on our bookshelf, right? Like, so they're little but meaningful ways that in our very personal lives, we can expand our world and our commitment to justice. But then the next is areas of influence. So whether that's you are in a small town and you have influence because you attend a church or you're, you know, are on the PTA at a school and you want to say, Hey, when we're hiring, are we thinking about hiring people who are people of color? Like, Mm -hmm. is that even something we're asking a question about? where are your areas of influence and how can you be asking questions or even um, helping to work towards change? And then institutionally is kind of the bigger, you know, we want to, if we want justice to be happening even more in our criminal law system and in our, you know, prison system and in our education system, that means really being joined in collectively with other people in a longer and broader work. And honestly, I think often those individual actions lead to influential, lead to institutional. And God is really gracious and patient in taking us one step at a time. Small bites at a time to get there. Yes, it can feel so overwhelming. But I think I love that you have that out for people because right now, you know, in the time that we're recording this in July of 2020, 
I think there are a lot of people are who are going, okay, I'm learning so much. Now, what do I do? Like, what do I do with this? And, you know, that can be really exhausting for people of color to have to field those questions and talk about it. And so this is just some beautiful touch points of like, okay, here's some things that you can do. Like today, buy a book listen to a podcast, start listening to sermon series from another, from an African-American pastor. So I like that you did that. It's really, thank you. people are going to really eat that up. Well, it's been helpful to me even just to be like, okay, head, hard hands. What am I doing? Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> when they teach at our class about teaching, I mean, when they teach at our church about teaching the Bible, they talk about teaching through head, heart, hands. Because a lot of people see things through different lenses, through those lenses. Yeah. Like you may be more of a head person, may have a heart person or a hands person. And so they teach you to teach the scripture that you're teaching to all three of those areas in some way in your message. So, well, and I think people, you're right. Like for me, I am such a head person. So I have learned about this stuff forever. I mean, again, I was an African-American studies minor, but it wasn't until my heart got engaged with my daughter, right. that I, my hands got involved. Right. Like, and so I think it's also good to recognize that's a strength. Like it's great that I can like mm-hmm. read information and absorb it, but let's also ask God to be doing some work and paying even for me, I got to pay attention to my heart and my hands because the head's going to happen. And for other people, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like a job to have to read a book. Well, maybe you have to do that job sometimes. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly right. So you can't just rely on one of those areas. They all feed into each other, which is so good. Okay, Amy, Julie, I want to switch gears here for a second. Full disclosure, whenever I invite a guest on, I send them the exact same questions. Everyone has the same questions and I go through and it helps me kind of shape how the interview is going to go, especially if I'm bringing on someone like I've never met before. I'm not familiar with their work. It's really helpful. You said something in your thing that stood out to me and you may not even realize that this is what I mean, out of everything you said, and we've talked a lot about like the amazing things I want to talk about. But when you were telling me about your marriage, you said that you guys have been married for 21 years to Peter. You got three kids. You have a weekly date night. And then you said this, and we have an hour long calendar meeting every week. I'm going to need you to fill me in on this and tell me why, how, when. Tell me all the, because Aaron and I, I mean, often. Two, two busy people, four kids will be like, hey, can you look at this date? Yep. And then we'll schedule things right there. Or, or we'll even be like, send me an email. Like, you know, like yep. get an email, get it in writing. So I need to know what you and Peter have going on on a weekly basis. And with this, I would say this has been happening. I don't remember if it happened before we had kids. So certainly for over a decade, okay, we have sat down for an hour. Originally, it was like, seven o'clock on Tuesday nights because Penny went to bed at like seven and it was like, okay, we're just doing the calendar meeting. But eventually he hated it so much that we had to put it in the work day. So he literally, it's two o'clock on Friday afternoons. And the idea is that so that at the end of the day, I am not being like, oh, hey, I wanted to ask you about that. And before we actually talk about our day, I just need to make sure you can pick up William at the blah, blah, blah. Or it's not just calendar. We do like, we look at our finances once a month in that meeting, we have conversations about like, who's going to get, take the car to be serviced. Who's gonna, it's like a, it's like you're the two house managers are coming together to see how we're going to get everything to work in the next week. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And so we try anything that is not urgent. We send as an email to me, cause I'm the much more like disciplined email person. And I put it in my starred folder. And it's kind of like flag this for Friday. Like we don't have to talk about it or think about it until Friday. And then on Friday, we sit down and we go through that list of things. And we always have to talk about the calendar because like who's going to drive to the baseball game, you know, Uh and whatever. But then there are these other questions that come up 
that that way we don't have to worry about on Wednesday night when really we want to just like have a glass of wine and say, how was your day? Yeah. So I, it helps a lot. I love it. But here's my deal. If I was going to have a planning meeting, I'd be like, Aaron, we need to do it at a restaurant. We're going to need drink and appetizers. And then next thing you know, we're just on a date, you know, like. And that's why you also have to have the date night. So it's like, no, no, this really is like the family work. And it's to keep that work out of that relational time. We have done that a few times where it's like the cocktail hour is the like planning hour. But you're right. It devolves. And and we don't, I mean, there are certainly weeks where we don't actually meet and whatever, sure. but it's, I mean, when people ask me for marriage advice, I say date night and weekly calendar meeting. It's so good because, I mean, you're right. When I hear you talk about it, I'm like, we just in passing, like literally, like if I could explain to you how our house and offices are set up, our house is in the middle of the property and then there's Aaron's music studio and then I'm on the very far. So I'm walking back and forth all day right. long to go to the bathroom. And just now I walked home to go to the bathroom before we interviewed. I saw Aaron. I was like, hey, what are you doing? Da, da, da. And, and we had a conversation about something that was happening tonight. And when are you going out of town? All in like 25 seconds. Yep. <laughs> and then I went to that and then here we are. I love that idea. And I think that we've been married. Aaron and I have been married 19 years. Hmm. And I've said this before, so it's no surprise, but quarantine was hard for us in a lot of ways. And I think that someone told me 20 years ago that you would desire to have a weekly calendar meeting with your husband. You know what I mean? Like, we just want to like have fun and go lay on the beach and have sex. And they'd have been like, no, you really should. And now 20 years, I'm like, yeah, you really should. And isn't it just funny how marriage, we have this idea of it. And, and listen, I'm the biggest fan of marriage in the world. I love marriage. I love my husband. I love all the things. It's a lot different than I thought it was going to be. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And part of it is there is, so you don't want your relationship to become a business, right? Like you don't right. want it to just become we are two people who are managing a household together. Yeah. And that's a danger because I think even the like functional marriages that have lost a lot of that like intimacy and love can still, you know, function, go function and, and be kind of fine for a yeah. while, but it's mm -hmm. like a business partnership. Yeah. So you don't want that. But at the same time, if you just, especially once kids get involved, if you're just doing the, you know, let's just enjoy each other and go have yeah cocktails and a sex day hour night. yeah yeah exactly then you also I mean then ultimately for me that means I get really resentful because I end up being the one who is figuring it all out and doing all the household stuff and Peter is truly happy and wants to be a part of all of it because somebody's going to have to figure it out and so that's where that resentment would come in yeah it's just it's funny how we have to find this balance and you know when people just become business partners in a marriage is where I mean, I'll never forget when Aaron and I were newlyweds. I mean, we didn't have children. We were so new married and we did not have that rough couple of months. Like when we got married, yeah. it was like we were having milkshakes every night. We were both still in college. Like we just were like both working part time. Job. I mean, it was so fun. And I remember one of his college roommates. Well, this must have happened a little bit after because if it was a college roommate, even though it took us both a long time to get through college and neither one of us have master's degrees. But anyway, one of his old roommates called him and said his parents were getting a divorce. And I remember thinking as like this newlywed, how is someone married for 25 years right. and then they get a divorce? And now you and I are both hitting those. You, you know, you're 21. I'm 19. We're coming up on those 25 years. Yep. And it was a couple of years ago that it hit me and I went, I know exactly how that happens. Like, I know exactly how that happens is they become a business relationship. Everything's for the children. And then all of a sudden the kids are gone and you look across the table and go, wow, don't really know who you are, you know? 
And that scared me really badly. And so I don't want to be that person when story leaves, you know, in six years to look across and go, who are you? Absolutely. No, we've had that conversation too. I do think, and it sounds like y'all might, how old is your oldest child? 16. Okay. So we had a little longer because we've been married 21 years and Penny is 14. And we started dating when we were 16. We had a long time. We had a um, surprise first baby. We, we, We planned on waiting a lot longer, but you know. God is love and he's in control. There you go. And you have a beautiful family. And I but so, yeah, we it. had so long where it was just the two of us that it was actually really hard for us to make room for mm. our children. Yeah. But once we got to a place where we had done the like necessary changing to expand who we were as a family was when I started to see how exactly what you just described, where you can just get into this like business partnership where, and even just like our kids don't go to bed now until oh the same gosh. time or after we do. And I'm like, no, I have to so sleep with my door closed now because they're all watching TV downstairs. And I'm like, this is, Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're in that, you know, so there are lots of different stages of marriage and in there are different challenges, I think in all of those. Mm-hmm. And anyway, not to say that the calendar meeting is the solution to all of that, but it has I don't like your calendar happen. meeting. I, and, and I will say, I remember when that happened and I used to think, what's wrong with those people? They're like the worst people in the world. Who would ever do that? And now I definitely would not think that about, I mean, I have a lot of maturity under my belt as well, 20 years, Yeah. but I now would think, man, I'm so sad. And I so see how that happened, yeah. you know? And so you got to be on the offense of it because that will sneak up on you. And next thing you know, you didn't even see it coming, you know? So to be offensive in our marriages and what I mean is like get ahead of the game with your date nights and your meeting count, your calendar yeah. meetings, which is awesome. Thrive Market delivers organic and sustainable groceries right to your door. Just recently, I went to Thrive Markets, I got my account, and I stocked up on snacks because my kids all day long, mom, we need more snacks, we need more snacks. And what I loved about it is I could go straight to Thrive Market, I could pick out that I wanted vegan or paleo or gluten-free, whatever might need our family's needs, and they are going to deliver it straight to my door. And I'm a happy mama, and those kids are happy kids. As a Thrive Market member, your paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, teacher, veteran, or first responder. Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diets and values, like paleo, keto, or plant-based, delivering the highest quality organic and sustainable essentials from groceries, healthy snacks, meat and seafood, clean wines, non-toxic cleaning, bath and body, and stuff for your pets, which I also got some great dog bones for my sweet little puppers. As a member, you're going to save 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices, and their carbon-neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. In addition to membership matching, which is so phenomenal that they do that, Thrive Market has raised over $750,000 to date through their COVID-19 relief fund. If this sounds like something you're interested, go to thrivemarket.com slash happy hour. Join today, and you're going to get a free gift of your choosing up to $22 in value. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash happy hour, because you're listening on the happy hour. Go there today to start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today. Thrivemarket.com slash happy hour. I don't know about you guys, but schooling at home was quite an adjustment. I was trying to work. My kids were trying to do school. I'm trying to keep up with what their teachers are doing. It was really difficult, and it's times like these that inspired me to check out Laurel Springs. Online learning might be new for your family, but Laurel Springs has been doing this for nearly 30 years. 
As the experts in online learning, Laurel Springs has the tools and the curriculum that your child needs to maintain their learning unhindered by whatever the future holds. Their flexible learning programs designed for students in kindergarten through 12th grade offer challenging and diverse courses. And Laurel Springs is accredited with the Western Association of Schools and Colleges Incognia, which means our transcripts are recognized by colleges and universities worldwide. Register your child at laurelsprings.com slash happy hour today and receive a waived registration fee. That's laurelsprings.com slash happy hour for your waived registration fee. laurelsprings.com slash happy hour. Okay, so I would love to ask you, what are you reading? What are you loving? Mm. What's exciting you these days? All right, so I'm reading, I'm always reading lots of books. I am reading, let's see, in the morning, I'm reading Marlena Graves has a new book called The Way Up is Down. Okay. Um, so it's pretty beautiful, just about what it means to kind of enter into Jesus as the mm. one who came down in order mm-hmm. to lift us up. So, But I just finished actually a book called The Dearly Beloved. It's a novel by Kara Wall okay. that I really enjoyed. And I'm reading another novel called Believers. I don't remember those, her last name. What else am I loving right now? I love, I drink Paris tea pretty much all day You're long. You're a tea drinker. I'm a tea drinker. I do not like coffee. Um, it smells like cat urine to me. I think it's like a genetic thing. You know how some people like they can't eat cilantro or parsley? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm that way about coffee. My mom hates coffee too and said it sounds, because she remembers her mom waking her up in the mornings with coffee breath and she like can't get over it. She's never even had it. Yeah. No, no I mean, I've never had a full cup of coffee. That's yeah. true. But mm-hmm. anyway, I love tea, Paris tea. And I have an ember mug, which is a mug where like it has a coil in the bottom. Oh, so I've it seen keeps those. it the yes. temperature you want. I actually mm-hmm. have two. Because I drink so much of it that I have like two going. I might need one of those because we don't have a microwave. And so there's no like reheating. It's like you got to get it in oh, while it's hot. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. need myself I, one of those. Ember mug. Really, okay. really love it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I'm reading a book called The In-Between Place by my friend Kat Armstrong. It actually doesn't come out oh. until January. But it's a beautiful – so I'm like halfway through and love it all about – John chapter four and the woman at the well um, when Jesus meets her in Samaria. So it's a beautiful story. Okay, girl, thank you. We have covered privilege and seeing culture through the lens of a holistic view and marriage and meetings and all the things. This is my favorite kind of happy hour. It's my favorite kind of happy hour. It's like you talk about deep, meaningful things and also like, girl, tell me how y'all have your marriage calendar meeting. So my favorite happy hour today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you. Okay, guys, check out all the show notes because we're going to tell you all the things we talked about. If there's anything we mentioned, it's going to be in the show notes and you'll be able to grab a copy of Amy Julia's Head, Hands, Heart PDF and learn more about her books, her podcast, and her family. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a friend. Have a virtual happy hour or a happy hour with a mask or something with a friend. I'll see you guys back here on Wednesday with my new friend, Anna Golden. Anna's a 23-year-old worship leader and musical artist who is creating powerful songs for worship. If you haven't heard of her, check her out and listen to her music all weekend so you can be ready to hear our conversation next week. You're going to love her. Bye, guys. Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. 
We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays, and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode.